Hey, so on August 3, um, a day short of three weeks from today, um, TFRC will be launching our first ever Summer Serve project. Uh, what we're going to be doing is heading downtown um, into the city of Twin Falls, and we're going to bless a neighborhood there um, very intentionally, a neighborhood um, that could uh, use some help. We're going to um, paint and landscape and lay concrete and nail shingles and like a gazillion more other things we're going to do. And we're going to do all of it in the name of Jesus, that the Magic Valley here might meet Jesus through the work of our hands and through the work of our feet. Now, um, since we first introduced Summer Serve, I don't know how many months ago, um, we have made just a ton of progress with planning and all that kind of stuff. We've met um, residents in the neighborhood that we're going to bless. Um, we've identified needs. We've built teams. We've got a lot more uh, specific on some of the projects we're going to be doing. And so what I wanted to do just for a couple minutes, so I was going to invite Christy Pickett, our um, missions director up, and she is going to just give us an update on all the stuff that's been going on with Summer Serve, because God, honestly, has been up to something here. God has been doing all sorts of things that we didn't even think would happen. So uh, we want to share some of that with you guys today. Awesome. I am so excited for Summer Serve. It's going to be so cool. Um, like you said, we're going to serve in the name of Jesus. Um, we've had an opportunity as with a team of people to go down there and knock on every door and talk to people. Um, the residents there are awesome, and um, we've had all kinds of emotions shared and praying with them. It's a mixed neighborhood down there as far as owner-occupied and rentals, but TFRC, our money is going to invest in those owner-occupied to help those people out with their needs. Um, there is a lot of sidewalk work that needs to be done down there and painting and roofing and, and lots of mending fences and lots of other things. Um, when we were able to go down there and meet with the individuals, um, there, there was an um, elderly gentleman that just was sick and doesn't leave the house very much, and we were able to go in and visit with him, and he just can't take care of weeds and stuff in his, his house, and so we're able to help him with some of those landscaping-type needs and also do his sidewalk. There's also a, a couple down there, and the gentleman's a veteran, and they just bought the house recently, and there's just a lot that needs to be done, and they can't quite keep up with that, so we're able to bless them with some painting projects and also um, some side work stuff there as well. Um, um, Christy, can you tell us, so what she did is she went downtown with a team and they literally knocked on every door in the block and met with every single um, house or residents of each house. What was the response when you kind of said, hey, we want to do this summer surf thing? How did that go? So it was awesome. God was definitely at work and he was there. We got a very mixed emotions um, from gentlemen going, I don't know what you're selling, but I don't want any. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, we're in and we're on his couch and we're chatting for 30 or 45 minutes. Um, and to a, somebody else is like, are you kidding me? Pinch me. Like, this can't be true. Yes, it is true. And we don't want anything in return. We just want to bless you. And we're just here in the name of Jesus. And we want to be here. Some people asked us to pray with them. Um, so just a very very mixed emotion um, there, but overall, everybody was happy we were there and happy we could help, and and it's going to be awesome. And then, and then there was one. So we're trying to give to a neighborhood, and then there was this one resident that had an idea. What was that? Yes, this one resident said, "Oh, that's so awesome! I really do need my sidewalk done, but you know what I do?" and I roast meat, 
pigs, and I want to provide food for the celebratory party at the end of the night. So he's going to jump in and roast a 100-pound pig in addition to we're going to have some other Amen. stuff. It's going to be awesome. And so he just wanted to partner with us with what we're doing and to give back. And so it's going to be an amazing day. We're going to start off at 9-ish, and we're going to work and, and all different projects. It's for all ages. Um, we're going to have times that the kiddos can get out there and work, and then times they can, they can kind of hang out with some child care people. And then at that night, we're going to have this huge dinner. We're going to eat as a community and celebrate that together, the work that God has done, and also with the residents are going to hang out with us as well. And so, so originally, Christy said that we needed to raise about $15,000, and we thought that we could get um, basically all the projects done that we were hoping to do. Can you give us an update on just what kind of money is involved these days? So we're just a little short of that $15,000, um, but there's also so many other needs. There's, we've kind of got a wish list going of things that we could do depending on what comes in. So there's still opportunities to give, and it will be used, and it will bless these people. Um, also, there's opportunities to serve. We have over 100 people signed up right now, but we are going to have jobs for everybody. And so we still need people to sign up. Um, we still need people to give. Um, you can plug in there. And one of the most important things is we need prayer. Pray for how all this comes together. When we invest our time and the offerings and donations, um, I'm blown away about how many business partners have jumped in and donated things that we need, like materials and tools, um, and also money. Um, we're going to invest up to $50,000 into this 300 and 400 block of Fifth Avenue North. So it's amazing how God is working and opening doors for us. But pray, pray for how this happens. And, and it's all glorifying to him and it's all in his name. And, and pray for me as I get all these moving parts to kind of fall into place, that would be awesome. Um, you can sign up at the information desk today. You can contact me. I would love to chat with you about it and plug you in there. Um, we're going to give t-shirts out, and so need t-shirt sizes. Um, if you have signed up, you got an email, and um, that's asking you to respond back with t-shirt sizes and child care needs that you might need to sign up so we can make sure everything runs smoothly that day. So thank you guys for doing this. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Now, uh, for the next three weeks, um, before we launched this thing called Summer Serve, what we wanted to do is we wanted to do a series where we kind of lay the groundwork for the why. Like, why in the world would TFRC want to do something like go downtown and help fix up houses and neighborhoods and stuff like that? Why is that a priority now? Um, why would TFRC spend the finances and the time and the planning and the energy, all of that stuff for a project like this. And so what we wanted to do for the next three weeks is we wanted to talk about that and cast a little vision around um, why summer service is so central to um, the identity here of TFRC. It's part of who we are. Now, uh, there's a passage um, in the, near the end of the Old Testament um, that has been a kind of foundational passage for how we've approached this Summer Serve project. Um, that passage is found in the book of Micah. If you have your Bible, um, turn to Micah. Um, it's in Micah 6.8. It's a pretty familiar passage. This is what Micah 6.8 says. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
Now, if you look closely at Micah 6, 8, what you'll notice is there's actually three imperatives or three commands that God gives us here in this one verse. Um, they, they're, they're, they go like this. Um, act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Um, one Christian thinker once said, um, if you want to know the purpose for the church, like what the church is really called to do and be in the world, Micah 6, 8 is about the shortest verse you can get, and it's so perfectly fits the role of the church. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is explore those three imperatives. Um, so to start us off this morning, um, we're going to take a look at the first one. That is act justly from Micah 6 eight. Um, in this series, we're going to have two uh, scripture readings each week, kind of together. We'll have two verses. Um, so our scripture readings this morning are Micah 6 eight. so you can just stay there if you're already there. And then we're also going to Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 through 22. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles as well. Well, our scripture reader this morning is Tyler Lassen. Tyler, you can head on up when you're ready to read for us. And what we do here, church, is we stand if you are able to, and we face the center of the room where the scriptures are read. It is no surprise that scripture is read from the middle of this room because that is central to what we think um, our identity here is at TFRC. We are Bible people. It matters. So Tyler, when you're ready, uh, take it away. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To the Lord your God belong the heavens and even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, And do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Thanks, Tyler. You may be seated. So I don't know if you were aware of this, but last Sunday, during the second service here, um, history was being made. Now, it may have been made in this room, I'm not sure about that, but history was being made in another place at the same time as the second service. The Women's World Cup final was being played during the second service, and the U.S. played the Netherlands. We can make a Dutch joke, but we're not going to do that this morning. Um, But the U.S. played the Netherlands, and the U.S., won the World Cup. That's exactly what I expected out of you. We are huge soccer fans um, in our family. We love watching, especially World Cup soccer. It's so fun. Um, 
One of the things I've noticed as we watch the World Cup this time around is FIFA, who's kind of the organizing body of, of soccer, in, uh, basically for the whole world, um, they implemented something called VAR for each of the matches, um, which stands for Video Assistant Referee. So when someone would shoot a goal or something like that and score, there'd be these people in this booth somewhere else watching replays of that video to make sure that everything was following the rules the way it was supposed to be, that it really was a goal or if it was a penalty, that it really was a penalty or something like that. And what I've noticed is this VAR thing has changed the game because I found that um, soccer fans are now talking a lot more about the rules and a lot less about the actual game itself. Um, you NFL people in the room, I'm a Lions fan, you can have pity on me later. Um, you NFL people in the room, you get this, right? There's this video replay thing, you know, there's a wide receiver catches a ball and it appears that maybe the wide receiver's foot touched out of bounds. We don't know. We're not 100% sure. And so they call a timeout or whatever and the refs come out and then we go to two commercial breaks and there's like 10 minutes of sitting staring at the green as we wait to hear just what in the world is going on. And then what you see on the screen, right, you've seen this, is they zoom in on the wide receiver's foot and then they play it slowly in slow motion as the foot comes down and they do it backwards and forwards and it's just really kind of weird and it takes forever, right? And they finally come to some conclusion. He was inbound or he was out of bound. But there's something about these video replays that are changing sports for us. Um, we're, we're talking a lot more about the rules and a lot less about the game. We're kind of obsessed with the rules in sports these days thanks to technology. Now, the temptation to get stuck on the rules is not only true of sports, it's also true of faith. It's very true of our faith. There is this temptation to turn our faith into a rule-following religion, isn't there? Where we believe that the primary concern of our faith is morality and spiritual rules, right? That the one thing that God cares about in our lives is that God cares about the rules and that we follow God's rules well. And some of us get really obsessive about these rules, right? Like we've got to follow the rules perfectly. We've got to wake up in the morning. We've got to pray for 30 minutes each day. And then at some point in the day, we've got to read our Bibles for a certain amount of time each day. And we've got to make sure that we follow all of God's moral codes, right? Like we don't swear and we need to make sure we don't cheat and we need to make sure we don't lie and we need to make sure that we don't work on Sundays. We've got to follow all the rules. And we believe that if we were to violate any of God's rules, well, God would be careful to punish us for each and every rule we break. And what we realize really quickly is that following all the religious rules is actually something that's very difficult to do. And we might find that we fail at following them. And so we try harder. We're going to follow the rules perfectly this time. And then we fail to follow them again. And then we try again. And then we fail again. And slowly this kind of religious anxiety builds in some of us. Because we know we're not quite living the life that God wants us to live. And the topic of dying of heaven and hell and all that becomes an anxiety-producing conversation for us because we're simply not sure. We're not following God's rules well, so I don't know if I'm going to make the cut to heaven. I'm just not sure what God has for me. And then faith in religion begins to feel oppressive in our lives. It's something that puts a burden down on us 
more than anything else. And then we come to spaces like these, and we meet with other followers of Jesus, and we feel like we know we're not following the rules, right? We're not doing a good job. We're trying, but we keep failing. And so there's this fakeness that starts to invade our lives. And so we come to church, and, and we actually have our guard up, and we don't really represent our true selves very well. We're really not all that authentic when we're around other people of faith because we're just a little unsure of what the response would be because we're not following the rules, and so we hide ourselves. You know, in fact, for the last couple of years, um, I've been teaching a discipleship class, and one of the questions I've asked every single class is, what is the one place you feel most inauthentic every single week in your life? Do you know what the response was? It was the church in worship. That's where I feel most inauthentic. If that's true for us at all, if that's true, then we are following a, a religion of rule following. We're not following the God of the Bible. We're not. You see, in the Bible, we have the books of the prophets. Like if you open your Bible and kind of go right toward the center, you'll find all of these prophets, starting with Isaiah, and it kind of goes on after that. And in the books of the prophets, God is at his angriest toward his people. He is not happy. His people have royally failed. They have done a really poor job of doing what God asked of his people people. And do you know what it was that made God angry in the books of the prophets? Do you know what it was? It was swearing. It was swearing. They developed a language problem. It got out of hand. God got angry. I'm joking. It wasn't swearing. It wasn't. Some of you believe that. That makes me concerned. No, no. It was two things. It was idolatry and it was injustice. Those were the two things that God would get angry about. In the Bible, when God would get angry with his people, it's because they were either following other gods or they were not acting justly. You see, in the Bible, we don't find a rule-following religion. We find a person-following faith. We follow Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated what faith really looks like on the ground. It looks like a growing love of God. That's what it looked like in Jesus' life, and that's what it should look like in ours. It looks like a growing love of our neighbor. That's what it looked like in Jesus' life, and that's what it should look like in ours. Now, if you have your Bible and you're open up to Micah 6.8, what we see in Micah 6.8 is what a growing love of God and a growing love of neighbor practically on the ground looks like. Let me read it again. Listen to this. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And the very first thing that God says we are supposed to do, the very first imperative, the very first command, is to act justly is what God says. Now, I was thinking about this earlier this week. If you look at Micah 6.8, you've got act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. If you were to order those in an order of importance, like the most important one at the top and then the least important at the bottom, which one would make it to the top? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Which one for you would make it to the top? For me, walk humbly with your God. That's number one on the list, Right? That's what we would think would be the first thing that God would say we're supposed to do, but God doesn't here. He doesn't. He says, no, no, the first thing is you, you act justly. That's number 
one in the list. You know, in the Bible, when we read Scripture, the way the words are laid out, the way the structure of sentences are laid out is intentional. It's very intentional. There is a reason that act justly comes first in Micah 6, 8. And the reason is because justice is a first order concern of God. Justice is a really big deal to God. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word justice appears no fewer than 422 times, which is a lot. It's one of the most common words in the Old Testament. It was a massive theme for the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. Now, the Hebrew word we translate as justice Uh, It's the Hebrew word mishpat. You can say it. It's really fun. I get it. Mishpat. Mishpat was a a judicial word originally. It was a courtroom word. Justice in the ancient world was the moment that a judge proclaimed a verdict in the courtroom. That's when justice happened. Justice was something that was spoken. It was verbalized. It came with your words. Um, How many of you are big watchers of Judge Judy? Okay, Some of you, we need to talk to you later. Um, Every time I go to the body shop or mechanic shop, Judge Judy's on. I don't understand that, but check it next time. Um, But you got Judge Judy, right? And Judge Judy is sitting there and she's dealing with this this case. And there's a point where Judge Judy talks to, you know, the the tenant of an apartment and says, you must pay the landlord $150 to clean the carpet. And all of, we're like, whoa, this is crazy. This is good TV, right? For some of us, it's good TV. Um, The moment where Judge Judy says, you need to pay the $150, that was justice in the ancient world. And you see, in the ancient world, not just any people could speak justice. That's not how it worked. There were only a few people that could speak justice. In fact, it would be the king or the governor, or the, whoever was politically in power at the time, they were the ones that got to speak justice. And so when a king would set out a rule and say, this is good, everyone would say, okay, that's what justice looks like. That's just. And perhaps another king would come later and say, well, actually, that's not good. Something else is good. Now justice has changed, and now that is just. And you see, what happens in the Bible during this time is God takes this understanding of justice, that justice is something that is spoken, you have to say it, and that justice is only reserved for the elite, it's only reserved for the king, the top brass, that's where justice um, is spoken, and God says, actually, I'm going to tweak this a little bit. God says in scripture that rulers, or any people for that matter, don't get to decide what justice is and what injustice is. Instead, God alone determines what is just. It's when God speaks, that's when justice is actually created. God alone is the proclaimer of the one that can say that is just, that is unjust. God alone gets to do that. No person and no ruler, only God. And honestly, some of us are like, eee, I, I like being that guy. Well, no, 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 that's not how it works. It's important to understand this. You see, church, we're not called to determine or make a ruling on what is just and what is not. We don't get to define what is just and what is unjust. Instead, God says, we are called to practice what God has already proclaimed as just. 
It's an important distinction. Now, in Micah 6, 8, our Bible translated as act justly. That's what the NIV does. Maybe yours says something different. Act justly. That's actually not a very literal translation of, of, of how you would translate that. In fact, if you were to literally translate the, the act justly, this is what you'd get. You'd get do justice. Literally, do justice. And there's a big difference between acting justly and doing justice. You know, acting justly kind of has this passive theme to it for me. It's something that I embody. I need to just act justly in my daily life. And when an opportunity presents itself, you know, to act justly, then I'll act justly in that moment. Like if I'm at the grocery store and somebody comes up and they say, could you, you know, buy me some groceries, now I can act justly in that request. It's all passive. It's all passive in our lives. It justice comes to us and we get to decide what to do. We act justly when we can. But guess what God says? God says, do justice. Justice for God is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's not a circumstantial thing. It's literally a marching order to go out, church, and go do justice. Make justice happen where there's injustice in the world. We are called to go out into our world, into our neighborhoods, everywhere in this world, and look for injustice, root it out, and then make it just again. That is something that God calls us to do. Go do justice. You know, a question is, how many of our lives reflect, really reflect that? where we really are intentionally out to do justice in this world, to do God's justice? Or are we more of the subtle type that's like, I'll just act justly and kind of just roll through life and, you know, maybe opportunities will present themselves, maybe they won't, and then we're good. But God says, no, 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 do justice. Like right now, start making justice happen in this world. The question is, what does God's justice look like? Uh, If you have your Bible, open up to Deuteronomy 10. That was our second scripture reading. And about halfway through our scripture reading, you can get to verse 18. And this is what it says. It says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. When God speaks justice into the world, this is what justice looks like. It's one of the earliest moments in Scripture where God says, hey folks, this is what my justice actually looks like. It looks like defending the fatherless. It looks like defending the widow. It looks like loving the foreigner. Essentially, look out for those that are low in society, the lower rungs in society, the people that have been either pushed down or whatever has happened to them, but they're in a more difficult place than us. And you're supposed to look out for those people. Take care of those people. Serve those who are struggling in your community. Serve those people. Love those who don't have a place to call home. Take care of those who have lost things, maybe everything. Help those who are barely making it. They're just on the edge, and, and it wouldn't take much, and they would be off the edge. Go help those people make justice in injustice. In fact, in this passage, it's really interesting. If you look at verse 19 in this passage, it's what it says. It says, love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. There's kind of um, a reciprocal relationship that goes on here when we're commanded to practice justice. There's something about 
remembering when the Hebrew people were once slaves in Egypt, remembering when they were the lowest rung in Egyptian society, and remembering that God stepped into that and brought them out of their slavery, thus making their lives just, making something that was unjust, just. And God now says to the Hebrew people, um, hey guys, uh, tag, it's your turn now. Now you need to go out, Hebrew people, and find the enslaved. Find the poor, find the fatherless, and the widow, and the homeless, and make justice happen, just like I made justice happen for you back in Egypt. Now here's the deal. If we believe in the cross of Jesus, if we believe that Jesus said and did all those things that it's historically true, we have experienced God's justice, if we believe that. Because God made right in us what was wrong. God made just in us and around us what was unjust. I mean, think of the courtroom scene, right? There's a courtroom and God is the magistrate and we're standing on trial and we are guilty. In fact, we embody what injustice looks like. And at the last minute, Jesus steps in and says, you know what, hold on, hit the brakes. I'll step in for you. I'll take the punishment for you. I'll, I'll suffer for them. I will. And then Jesus went to the cross, and justice happened for us. Now, now God says, because of the salvation you have received, because of what Jesus did for you, because of the justice you've experienced, now we must step out into the world and reciprocate it to the world around us. There are people that are suffering around us. There is injustice all around us. And God says, if you've tasted my justice, now you go out to the world and help other people taste it too. You see, as we remember the justice God provided us, we will grow hearts for those who need justice. And you see, here at TFRC, this is what Summer Serve is all about. This is what we're trying to do. We believe that God in this season is calling TFRC to be even more intentional with the widow and the fatherless and the foreigner that are among us. We believe that. To those who are struggling in society, to those who for whatever reason are finding it hard to even keep up on their homes, we believe we're called to step into that and to provide justice just like Jesus brought justice to us. And here's the thing. It, it hurt Jesus to give us justice. It, Jesus had to suffer to bring justice. And we should just assume that's what we're called to as well. You know, we're going to do summer serve, and we're going to go downtown. We're going to work on homes, and it's, and it's going to be probably a lot of fun. But there's going to be moments where this is going to shock you, but your clothes might get dirty. You're going to suffer a little bit. Um, some of you are more like me, and when you pick up a hammer, things start breaking, like immediately, right? Like your fingers, you know, you've done that. 
some of you might have to get a little uncomfortable and suffer a little bit so that God's justice can reign in Twin Falls. Maybe. And here's the thing, guys. If our church is unwilling to do things like this, where else in the world are people going to experience God's justice? If it's not here, where will it be? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. It's literally our job. That's why God has us here. So the question is, are you ready to jump in? To bring some justice in an unjust world? To ultimately bring God into an unjust world? Let people meet Jesus through us, through our hands and our feet? Are you ready to do that? Because it's primary. It's primary to who we are. It's why God has us here. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can rely on your justice. God, we know that you are a good God who cares about your creation and you see the wrong out in your creation and you desire to make it right again. That's what the cross was all about, God, is making it right again. God, we ask you, as, as we move forward as a church, grow in us a heart for your justice, that we just can't even stand the fact that there is injustice in this world, that there's people that are struggling, that there's people that can't pay the bills, that there's people that are hurting, that there's people that are homeless, God, that there's a lot of bad stuff out there, God. God, inspire us to begin to do something about it in your name. That's why we're here. We thank you for the justice you gave us at the cross. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?